Welcome to the podcast, Coping Kit for Everyday Life. I'm Michelle Porter, and I'm here with my friend and dear colleague, Genevieve Lowry. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. We're super excited to get this started. And Michelle, I'm so excited to be doing this with you. We did spend a lot of time thinking about what to call our podcast. We wanted something that would speak to our child life people, but also something that connected to the larger community. Yes, and that's what we came up with, Coping Kit for Everyday Life. These days, we can really use a bag of tools to really help us deal with the both ordinary and extraordinary things that happen in our lives. We are hoping that our podcast is going to want you to want to share with us and learn more about how you can create your own coping kit by us sharing with you all the different conversations that Genevieve and I have had over the years and really talking about how we use our child life skills to support children and families, ourselves, and each other. Welcome to our podcast, Coping Kit for Everyday Life with Genevieve and Rochelle, where we talk about developing coping tools for both the ordinary and the extraordinary challenges for everyday life. And I'm just really excited that we're here today and starting up again together and having some dialogue and conversation about developing our everyday coping kit. I am so excited also, Rochelle. Woohoo! I'm, I'm really jazzed about this. I think our first episode went really well, considering it was our first time doing a podcast. And honestly, we really, you know, don't know a lot about doing this. We are totally stretching ourselves here, which is great. And I'm just really excited for today's topic as well. And looking forward to more conversation with my good friend. Absolutely, Genevieve. And Genevieve and I have been kind of thinking about like, you know, what we want to talk about today. And we really kind of lean towards you know, living in a pandemic, it's been about 18 months or so. And really just talking about that experience and really just talking about like ways of coping and developing a coping kit. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, for me, just remembering back, back of March of 2020, how one day everything just changed. I mean, I've been in healthcare for 29 years, as I shared last week, and I've never lived through a pandemic. And I think probably a lot of us would probably say that we haven't lived through a pandemic or worked through a pandemic (laughs) in healthcare. So you healthcare workers, essential workers, everybody out there, all of us, this is a new way of living. And I really go back and I'm thinking like, oh, you know, think about like the first time putting on a mask and going on the train and feeling like, oh my God, like why are people wearing masks? It's so weird. And and now it's like everyday life, you know, wearing a mask. I mean, I wear a mask at all day at work, pretty much unless by myself. <laughs> also being the lockdown and all the different experiences, going to the grocery store, you know, never knew getting a roll of toilet paper and would be so complex. I mean, not to play light side to any of this, but just saying like how much life has changed and really just figuring out how to cope. I mean, I think people talk about this COVID fatigue and just like what we're experiencing. I like was looking at the New York Times and, you know, just talking about still 15,000 deaths in the United States, you know, daily due to COVID. And we're already at like 650,000 deaths that have been linked to this pandemic in the United States. So we're still going through it. So, yeah. Yeah. Although I'm not as prepared as you are with the stats, there's also an astronomical number of children 
who have experienced the loss of a loved one and the enormous amount of grief that has been experienced not only by those children and families, but also by healthcare providers who have lived through caring for those who are diagnosed with COVID in the hospital, the separation from their own families. It really has been quite a year. And I think back even to my first thoughts about it in the beginning, I just, I think there's just a part of the brain that just sort of is like, tries to protect you. So it has this, this is not a reality kind of idea. And in the beginning, it was like, I remember telling my kids, oh, this, you'll, you know, it's not going to last very long. We'll all get our shit together. Somebody will figure something out, you know, like this sort of real belief that this couldn't really be happening the way that it's happening. And granted, some of the messaging out there was, oh, this is how long we're going to do this for, flatten the curve, all that stuff. I mean, we go to our family reunion in July and we were convinced that everything was going to be back to normal by July. And as we now know, that certainly was not the case at all. Yeah, absolutely. Like to agree, like like at first it's, it's like a bad flu and because <laughs> it was just so much not known about it. Right. I mean, again, like thinking, okay, how long could this possibly last for? Like, okay, like you said, by July of of this year, I'd definitely be going on vacation, you know, me too. Like thinking like, oh, okay, for sure we'd be traveling and doing, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, that we just still can't do at the moment. It's just crazy. Or even like I did just simple stuff that you think by now, of course, like, you know, be able to travel abroad or Right. Things open up, going to the restaurant, all these things that, you know, slowly things are opening up and then slowly still trying to navigate. So it's still not the same experience. Like, what was the moment for you? And I don't know that I have one singular moment, really, but my environment is much more different than yours. You really were working in a healthcare setting. So was there one singular moment that you thought of was like, oh, shit, this is real? <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, just being in a hospital setting and, you know, I heard the stories like team members of mine, because I worked with a lot of nurses and doctors and patients were coming in. I mean, I think for me, in a pediatric setting, we were treating adult patients when I'm walking through Mm -hmm. an ICU and I see large bodies instead of these little, you know, used to seeing children in beds and I'm seeing adults in beds, just, you know, changing over everything didn't know that we could create so many ICUs beds. I think that was the change, like just seeing like the transition of like really kind of all hands on deck in the hospital environment and really caring for all of these patients that were just coming, were coming and coming and coming. And then also, unfortunately, just the reality of, you know, I've had family members who did pass away from COVID. So Mm -hmm. also that reality of knowing people that are also experiencing that or people I know who got sick, really sick and had to be hospitalized, you know, seeing team members and colleagues having COVID. But yeah, I think working in that setting, like every day you were going into, so to speak, the trenches. Because for me, like I, you know, I tell a lot of people, my life didn't actually change in a sense that like I still had to go to work every day and still had to do whatever I needed to do to protect myself and my family and continue to, again, we talked about that calling. I was called to work in healthcare and the calling doesn't stop because there's a pandemic. However, really trying to learn how to cope differently. 
you know, really came into play because I didn't have the opportunity. We often talk about like, you do your work and then you shut it off and then you go home. But when I went home, the pandemic, it doesn't, you know, it's not outside the door of the hospital. So I think that was different. You know, some of the things I probably used before to cope didn't exactly work the same for me because now I had to figure out how to navigate it in both worlds. How do I help myself support myself at work? And then how am I support myself when I'm not at work? Mm, That's really interesting. Yeah, because like even just the physical taking off of the mask, like you didn't do that until you literally got home. Right. Like, I mean, I'm assuming the only place where you felt safe enough to take that off is when you're in your own house. Right. Mm -hmm. So like when I worked in the hospital, that commute ride home for me was always that sort of decompression time, like where you just sort of like the literal ride became sort of the separation of home and of work and life balance. Right. And I would think that that becomes that much harder when even the physical pieces that you leave at work you can't leave that work, mm-hmm. right? So not only are you carting home all that, you know, the mask and everything, but it's harder to leave behind that sort of emotional toll or make that separation in order to be present for your own family and for yourself. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't really thought about of that experience for you. So that was really interesting to sort of hear that framed that way. For me, I think... I already was teaching online, so that was not a big transition for me. Having my children home and my husband also home in all of a sudden having a full house instead of an empty house that Mm. I was used to was really, you know, a, a big switch that many families experienced. Both of us were very fortunate that both of our jobs were jobs that we could do from home. So I didn't even have like a big change in my work. However, I was teaching a group of students and they were not child life students. They were in the teacher prep program. I was teaching child development and I had a group of students and that class was also an online class, which they were just getting used to themselves, how to be online and in that space. And we were navigating that when all of a sudden they themselves, because they were working teachers, all had to go put their classrooms on. So it was like this big dramatic shift and in sort of responding to their needs, you know, I had to really adapt and change what we were doing in class and sort of in a way kind of went into that sort of child life mode of, you know, what do you guys need to be able to cope with the things that you're doing, not only in your schools and better supporting your own students and the families that you're working with, but also in your own homes, many of them, you know, were living in some of the boroughs and they were of New York City and they were closer to it than I was out here in the suburbs in New Jersey. Many of them live in apartments, having a much different experience than I was. So I had to really think about what are the ways that I can support my students. A lot of them were experiencing grief and loss early on, separation issues. It was really interesting the ways in which that my child life skills had to sort of take a different format for supporting this particular group of students in some of the changes that they were experiencing, the ways that they had to learn very quickly to interact with their children, with their students, with the families of those students, and then even in their own personal lives with their grief and loss that they were experiencing, that became sort of the moment where I was like, oh, 
this is different. This is real. This is happening. And I had to switch up what I was doing and I had to really respond to what their needs were and create spaces for them to support each other, find ways to connect with them. And that grief and loss piece was just so important because as we know, that can shape somebody's life, how that's managed or how that's handled or how that feels supported to someone. So to be able to say, hey, listen, what you're doing is child development and what you're doing, we need to address these other things first before we can get into a learning headspace, right? Like I got to really hold you up here so that you can do what you need to do in your lives and both your personal and professional before we can do that in the academic one. So it was an interesting sort of dynamic and experience to have. Yeah. You bring up a lot of good points. One, like how you have to pivot and change mm-hmm. the way in which you're doing things, like how you're working with your mm-hmm. students to adapt to what the changes that were going on for them. But also what I also relate to is like how I had to support my and they're also experiencing, you know, griefs and loss in their own personal lives, as well as the patients and families they're working with. Again, like I said, like just living through this experience, like really for me, like promoting self-care, letting them know, like, here's a resource, here's this resource just to really support them. Cause also to that connection, like mm-hmm. that was the one thing a lot of people really, you know, didn't have that. But I know a lot of people right now, probably was the first time that I've probably seen their families because of the pandemic, just weren't able to travel or just weren't able to see them. So again, I have the luxury of, you know, my mom and family close by me, but imagine not to be able to see your family member for such a long time, like, and not feeling that connection. So like, I think, you know, creating spaces for people to feel more connected when at the time feeling so disconnected by everything going on. Yeah. The idea of community, I think, is really interesting. And I think in some ways, society has really figured out ways to using, you know, virtual platforms like, you know, Zoom or whatever and texting more, whatever, however people were really amplifying these different ways to connect with one another. And I think some places really adapted really well to that. And then, but by the same token, there's still kind of like this little missing piece, maybe, I don't know, or... I want to be in the same room with you breathing the same air. (laughs) Yeah, the reality is like being on Zoom, like we are right now, is not the same as being in the same space. Right. And like, that's like become a part of our world. I mean, still, you know, you can't have large meetings. You can't have all these things. So like I said, adapt. It's that missing part is that human touch. I -hmm. think that's it. And even like, I think with everyone wearing a mask, like we don't see faces anymore. Yeah. I mean, some people might say that's really great because like, you know, you can hide all your facial expressions <laughs> in that mask. So right now, if you're someone who like everything shows in your face, it's probably like uh, a good thing. It's like, yeah, I like me. <laughs> or, you know, some people who like, probably like, like, I like the fact that I don't have to be around other people. So some people, this yeah. the pandemic has worked out for them. And I think for others like that, you know, that's so weird. Like you don't be able to have a conversation. You don't actually don't see people's faces. So every once in a while, I don't know if this happens to you. Like if someone does take their mask down, say like if they're going to drink something or whatever. And I like stare because I'm <laughs> like, I don't see faces. Like right, I don't see weird. faces all, yeah. or, I, or I don't see people's faces anymore. So when <laughs> I actually see it, I'm like, oh, or people who have met that I've only seen masks and then they take their masks down. I'm like, 
that's what you look like? <laughs> how the brain fills it in for you. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like that again, like, you know, seeing someone's face, like how you don't, that, again, like that connection. It's, it's like of, object permanence, right? You got the, for babies, how they wear the mask over their face. Like it's not there because they can't see it. And all of a sudden you take it out. Oh, there really is another half to your face. <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 you've been, or you envision this half in a different way. Like, oh, <laughs> oh you have a beard. <laughs> you know, it's the it's weirdest, the weirdest thing when you're like, Hmm. Um, yeah, I was talking to somebody That's about so that the funny. other day, but yeah, that, that connection, like, you know, how do you create connection? You know, I think also is a part of coping. Like, how do I have that in my life? So I do feel connected because everyone, you know, needs different sense of support and community. Like, how do you create that? Or how do you keep that? Um, so at our, at our last podcast, we sort of had some questions that we left the group with. And they're very applicable to this conversation that we're having today. So you and I thought we would discuss those questions in sort of this topic, connected to this topic. And so we asked ourselves, what do you need in your coping kit? And we asked us, and we asked not only ourselves, but our listeners, what would you add to your coping kit or what have you added to your coping kit? And we can frame that around what have you added to your coping kit that's helped you manage this past year or the changes that have occurred this past year? Yeah. So for me, as far as like, what do I need in my coping kit? I would say self-care. And I know self-care is this big thing and everyone's, oh, you need self-care. But I think self-care can mean so many different things to so many different people. So I'm going to define it for what it means for me. And I think for me was that I really needed to have time, like time to myself to kind of reflect and have that quiet time to kind of reflect. But also what I mean by that is you like utilizing that time for self-reflection and doing, you know, things to kind of help me to kind of have that mindfulness, I guess is the best way to kind of do it. So one of the things that I started doing that I used to, it's so funny now, years ago, I'd be like, I could never meditate, like meditation to me. It's like, I can't shut my brain off. I'm always thinking. And I've really started to do that meditation. I've found a great app that I use. And like, I actually use that to start my day at work to kind of like center myself. Like, you know, something about centering your breathing is is something that I've found to be very helpful. And then I, you know, that I need, I know I need to have that as part of my daily routine. And then also for me, you know, again, like I expressed earlier, like, Working has not stopped. I'm working in a very working healthcare and things like that. For me, also was shutting off because you know I was doing 12 hour days, and what I started to realize that I had to kind of create a schedule that promoted that I shut my that I just kind of shut off a little bit. And what I mean by that is go home actually on time. You know, so for me, kind of designating you know at least two to three days a week, I'm going to leave at the time that according to my schedule, <laughs> that's the time I should be working still and go home and leave the work at work and go home. <laughs> so clearly her home and work are the same, but yeah, I think those are the things that I realized like I needed to do. And then also delegation. I think one of the things for me is I'm big about like, Oh, I'll just do it myself and learning to trust that other people are willing to support me if I ask. So those are things that I realized like I need to have in my toolkit. Mm-hmm. 
And I think things that I added to my toolkit was one of the things I started doing was tapping, freedom tapping, where I actually learned how to do that. So that's been something great that I've found has been really helping me. Again, that mindfulness for me has been great to center me and tapping about anxiety, pain, whatever. There's a gambit of all different things you can tap on. So like doing that has been something I've added to my toolkit. And something I started to do, which is also funny, is that I started to do some painting. And Genevieve knows me very well. Mm -hmm. And so when we were a duo together, Genevieve was the creative one and (laughs) I was the ideas woman. That's right. So for me, anything art related or whatever, I couldn't even draw a straight line with a ruler. (laughs) Just, Just not my thing. However, during the pandemic, I just said, you know, what the heck? So I just started getting these little palettes and started painting. It's abstract. Abstract (laughs) art. So I call it abstract. But it was so very relaxing just to kind of just paint this abstract, listen to music, quite a few pieces, not selling them yet. So for my own personal, uh, so (laughs) relaxing. Uh, I I I I think I showed you a couple of them, but yeah, it's so relaxing. So like, again, that's something I added that, you know, again, like something that I never would have thought I would have added, but um, I kind of added that into my toolkit. It's been very relaxing and soothing for me again, and also giving me a part of that quiet time I talked about. So that's something I do in my quiet time is Mm. is do this, this abstract art. So yes. So Genevieve, question to you. So what do you found that you need? And you're helping kiddo. And what's something you've been adding to? It's a really interesting question for me because I struggle with downtime. And because I work from home mostly, it is very hard for me to separate my work life from my personal life. So one thing that I did start doing was during the week, I would turn off my computer, you know, usually around 4.30 or something and try and go walk the dog or something. And I would literally make myself turn off the computer. I often teach classes at night. So unless I had something at night, but I did try to think if I'm teaching at night, I should stop earlier, like trying to find that balance in there to make myself kind of create a real separation between work. Because I also found very Early on, when the pandemic started, like April, May, there were so many calls coming out from child life groups of people that were like, we need to put this out. We need to get this out. And I am a disaster junkie. Like, I love that shit. Like, I'm like, I can do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, and I just could not stop myself. So I literally was like seven days a week outside of my work at Bank Street, also working with my child life disaster relief to create documents and videos and all these things to support children and families at developmental ages. How do you talk to your kids about this? What are some tools you can provide them? And really doing that from a very child life perspective of how to help children cope, what are expressive arts, what are developmental explanations, you know, and I just really was nonstop, constant doing this. And I was doing that. And I was doing things for my own church that, you know, sort of trying giving presentations on helping people understand grief and loss and supporting their children and going back to school. I'm not going back to school, the things that kids were losing. And so I was really doing like a ton of things. I think part of that was because I had worked in the hospital for 20 years and 
all like I kept envisioning what this must have been like for you and my child life friends who were still working in healthcare settings and wanted so badly to be a part of that. You know, that's totally my thing. Like I said, I'm a bit of a disaster junkie. Like if there's something horrible happening, I want to be there. I want to figure out what it is our role is. How do I help families? What can I do? You know, and that can be a great thing because it's led to lots of really innovative and it's ideas and it's led to lots of really great opportunities for me. And it's led to lots of really wonderful meeting with different groups and people, but it also takes its toll in the fact that I don't leave any time for anything else. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, where places I really can impact change and where can't I, and where can someone else come up? You know, sort of like what you were saying about delegating, where can someone else, you know, I need to learn to say no to things. I'm often like, I I can totally do that. (laughs) And it's not that I can't totally do that because I probably totally can, but is there someone else who can do it? Like, can I make space for other people to take those things on? And can I, as opposed to being sure, you know, I'll do it. I am a Reiki practitioner. So I do meditate. Really interestingly enough, before the pandemic started, I had already started, I had decided I need to do this every day. So I had already started doing meditate. I had been meditating regularly. And when I meditate, I will, I'll either give myself Reiki or I'll send it to someone else. And that's been really wonderful. During the pandemic, there's been sort of a call to Reiki practitioners to every night at like nine o'clock, you sit and you do Reiki. And when I remember, I try and do that, sending it out into the universe, good energy and vibes. And that feels like something I can do, you know? So those are things that are really important to me. I've also recently added to my coping. I'm an avid reader. I love to read. And I've added to my coping kit, reading books that are not for work. (laughs) So reading a novel or reading something that's outside of my typical genre of either child life, loss, race, by, you know, like things like reading for fun, reading for, yes, reading for fun. I guess we could call it that. And I do every Saturday and Sunday morning, always set aside when I first get up to just read like not immediately go. And I try on the weekends. I've been trying on the weekends to not work. I've not been completely successful with that, but I have been trying on the weekends to do less work. I also realized that in all that putting out, that I was putting out so many things for other groups that I also, and I was taking, you know, I was overseeing my kids schooling. And although my kids are older, they didn't need me to do things like what parents of younger children needed them to do. You know, they still, my son is still in middle school. And so there was still a lot that I had to help him organize and get together at home and things. And my daughter was a graduating senior. And so I, you know, helping her navigate all that kind of stuff and things like that. I realized in creating all these materials for organizations, I was putting out a lot. And I was like, you know what, I need to take in something. And so I took a couple of courses this past year as well. I took a course on trauma that was really excellent. And I got my doulas, my end of life doula certificate. So that was, I know that was really exciting. So I've discovered that I need to take on new information as much as I was putting out materials and information that I needed to find a balance in how I was, you know, in learning and sharing, I guess, right? Yeah, would you say use my own words, but if this applies, do you feel like you need to almost in a sense, fill your own bucket? 
Yes. So we want our listeners to really think about what is their takeaway from this conversation, right? Like, what do they get from this? Or what are they thinking about as their takeaway from our conversation today or from the pandemic from this past year that they've had to really be thinking about that? And then there was an exercise, Rochelle, you wanted to have people do also. Yes. So we would love to hear about your takeaways and what you got away from this conversation. And my question I want to pose to you guys is that I feel like one of the things being in a pandemic, I don't know about you, but this feeling of not being in control comes up a lot. So what I want you to do is, you know, when you have some time, take a piece of paper and put um, things I have control over and things I don't have control, things I do and things I don't have control over and write them down as you think about as you're living through this pandemic. And, you know, look at the things you don't have control of. For example, if I was to give one out, it was like, I don't really have control over how other people behave. Like, I don't have control over whether or not someone wears a mask or not, for example. Um, But I do have control over whether or not I wear my mask or other things, or I have control over my behaviors and my attitudes. So just generate a list. And what I find is helpful is then when you look at the things that you have control over, focus on those. Because the things in which we don't have control over You know, we don't want to focus on that so much because we can't do anything about that. But you have a whole list of things right here that can support you that you have control over in your life. So I really want people to think about that as you think about COVID and do that list. And I often give to clients to do and I want to share that with you. So definitely do that. We'd love to hear how that exercise was for you. And as we close, so again, we are so excited. We do want to hear from our listeners. Please share with others after you found this podcast very useful to you. Share with your friends and family and colleagues again about how we can together create a community where we create our own everyday coping kit. So until next time, look forward to seeing you all. Bye-bye. It was great talking with you, Rochelle. And I look forward to people's feedback and our next podcast together. All right, Genevieve. Until next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today for our episode of Coping Kit for Everyday Life. We hope you take away something from this podcast that sparks your imagination or you discover a new tool for your coping kit. Remember to check out our resources and exercises in today's podcast notes. We would love to hear from you. Please share your comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows. You can find our emails in our podcast notes. Look forward to hearing from you.